You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Free Kick, the podcast aiming for the top corner and part of the Sports Social Network. On this week's show, it's a Hibson Johnson Cup final and the countdown begins for the big day at Hamden, with fans set to be let in to enjoy the occasion. The Times' Michael Grant joins us to look back on the weekend action in the semi-finals. We talk to Scott Coyne from the Belgian Football Podcast about new Rangers signing Fashion Sakala and how his teammate Jack Hendry is getting on at Oostend. Former Gretna midfielder Gavin Skelton joins us to look back on the 2006 Scottish Cup final when they took on Hearts and yes, we talk about that penalty miss. Plus, Auchinleck Talbot, the 13-time Scottish Junior Cup winners, are plotting their return to action. So their manager, Tommy Sloan, is on to look back on the last year and how COVID has affected his club. You're listening to Free Kick. I'm Craig Anderson and welcome to the show. Now, first of all, I want to thank those of you who downloaded and heard the show last week. It was our first attempt, so hopefully you like what you heard. Feedback's been positive so far, but feel free to get in touch if you have any questions or points you want to make about Scottish football. You can find us on Twitter at free underscore kick pod or email us at the free kick pod, which is all one word, at gmail.com. That's the free kick pod at gmail.com. Let's get to business and another action-packed weekend saw the Scottish Cup semi-finals taking centre stage where Dundee United took on Hibernian while it was the Battle of the Saints as St Mirren faced St Johnston. Joining me to look back on those and to look ahead to the fight for survival in the Premiership as well as the playoff between Wraith Rovers and Dundee was the Times sports writer Michael Grant and, contemplating the Scottish Cup final, I asked him if he thought we were in for a good final. I think we should be, Craig, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I watched both games and I thought that Hibs were um, the best of the four by by a, by a distance, to be honest with you, in terms of the quality of the football and just the the uh, style that they can bring at their best. But um, I think even before the second semi-final, we all 
we're looking at St Johnston and thinking that um, they are always an awkward and difficult and sticky team for anybody to face. And even even the results between the two teams this season, I think Hibs won the first one. Uh, and there's been four since then, and they haven't won any of them. So, I mean, that's, that suggests to me that um, that St. Johnson know how to deal with Hibs, or or at least have as good a chance as anybody of dealing with Hibs, and that we're in for a very tight and um, intriguing cup final. Now, we'll talk about the games in just a minute, but I'm curious from a, a media point of view, we've seen the, both national competitions end up with no old firm teams in either of them. Now, we both know that the old firm teams are the you know the teams that generate reads in newspapers and clicks and things like that online. Mm. So, is it any different when it's two teams that aren't the old firm involved in these things? Um, it, it, it's not any different in terms of... Um, I mean, I can only speak for my own newspaper and, and probably broadly in... In the, in the kind of sense of the landscape of all the newspapers. But um, it's not any different, I would say, in the coverage on, you know, eve of the game, day of the game, the, uh, you know, immediately afterwards, um, whether the old firm are in it or not. It probably, I would say that maybe the build-up would, would have less newsprint, less um, uh, column inches dedicated to it if it's not Rangers and Celtic. And, I mean, that's not... Uh, Something that I necessarily endorse as a non-old firm fan myself, but I but I can understand the kind of commercial reasons why that uh, that may apply. But but having said that, I mean, Sitman and Hibs fans are not going to feel shortchanged by the media coverage around the final. I mean, and and that will step that will step up at the start of next week. I mean, unusually. Um, the finals, you know, pretty, pretty closely upon us. I mean, normally there's a month of kind of uh, anticipation and excitement um, for the clubs and the players and so on and the supporters, and we don't have that this time. I mean, the, the cup finals are a week on Saturday, um, so you know. But the, the media build-up will start um, once the league is out of the way, which is this weekend. It's almost uh, feels like a kind of free week of build-up to the cup final. Now, Hibs overcame Dundee United on Saturday, a 2-0 win. Kevin Nisbet and Christian Doidge with the goals. They hadn't performed in previous semi-finals this season, Hibs. How much did Jack Ross need this? Oh, hugely. I mean, think about it. Think about what the reaction would have been like from the media and from the supporters, the Hibs supporters, and also from, from rivals, you know, quick and eager to mock them. Imagine what the reaction would have been if they had lost that game. You'd have had all of this stuff would have been raked up about bottle and hibsing it and all this stuff that we hear all the time whenever whenever hibs don't get a result at Hamden. And instead all of that is gone. Nobody's talking about well what great um, what a great mentality they show, you know, what uh, <laughs> what nerve and all the rest of it. And and they did show all that. They were they were very comfortable winners on uh, on Saturday and, and they, they I I thought they were that they dealt very comfortably with the occasion. I thought they never really looked like a team that was anxious or apprehensive. It looked like they enjoyed the game and and they enjoyed um, kind of knowing that they were going to be the better side. So um, in terms of needing it, yeah. I mean, if you lose cup semi-finals to Hibs and badly to St. Johnston, that's a slap in the face to supporters a couple of times. Um, and I mean, I, I wrote about it in, the, in in my paper today, Craig, that it's really interesting how I think Hibs, in terms of the cup, they're still in the kind of afterglow of 2016 because it's changed the whole narrative around the Scottish Cup for, for the for the club. I mean, we used to go and speak to Hibs managers around cup games and we were always asking about this history and 100 and 
well, it got to 114 years, you know, and and you could you could sense the kind of pressure being placed on the shoulders of managers. Now that's not been the case under Lennon and Heckingbottom and now Ross because that kind of pressure release valve was was turned by 2016, and and hopefully it just allows them to to um, to be less uptight and less uh, less stressed in the Scottish Cup because they won it so recently. Now, did the United, on the other hand, Mickey Mellon somewhat annoyed by the offside call, but the defeat effectively ends their season. They've got the two league games left, of course. What can he take from the season overall? It's been a good season, really. You know, I, I mean, you have to um, learn to kind of walk before you can run. Um, you know, I, we, we all think of Dundee United as a Premier League team, uh, but they haven't been for the last three, four years, and they're up. And you know, the finances are are fairly fragile at the club. They need to. Uh, they could have done with the with the cash boost that's going to come to from winning the Scottish Cup. That's not to be. But it's been a it's been a solid enough season for them. I know there's been criticism of the style of play at times. Um, but you know, ninth place never really in a relegation worry in the in the last few weeks, which is a nice position to be in. The supporters will look at the quarterfinal against Aberdeen and think, you know, that that's what this team is capable of at its best, um, and, and that's encouraging. I, I I don't think they carried that belief into the final, into the semi-final. Sorry, um, I thought they looked a different side, even though I think the person was exactly the same. But I think they looked a different side in terms of mentality and belief. I think they they knew or they suspected they had an um, they could do a number on Aberdeen, and I don't think they felt that way about Hibs. Now, the second semi-final on Sunday was, of course, the, the Battle of the Saints, St Mirren against St Johnson, the Perth side coming through 2-1. Now, looking at this one, they could win a second cup this season, which would be amazing for them. Now, Tommy Wright achieved legendary status for winning the, the Scottish Cup in 2014. Callum Davidson, is it a case of hold my beer? To use modern parlance, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, well, listen, um, there's already a debate about... Uh, where this season ranks and where Callum Davidson ranks in the in the in the club's history, and there's no question that uh, he is on the cusp of something absolutely extraordinary. Um, it's never been done out with the old firm in Aberdeen to win both cups in the same season. St Johnson until 2014 hadn't won one of the major cups, and now this incredible era that they have um, could reach its 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 absolute peak. Um, you wouldn't have put it past them. Let's let's put it that way. You, you really wouldn't put it past them. You know, I I made a point of watching that game closely yesterday just to see, try and get a handle on what it is that St. Johnson do because, you know, by and large their squad, you you, you know, it, you wouldn't say it, it's blessed with kind of remarkable talent in comparison with other teams in the league, but by God, manager after manager, and especially the last two, just seem to have this kind of alchemy in terms of. Um, Getting getting performances out of them. I mean, it, it doesn't happen all the time, and we kind of we, we we tend to, you know, when when they have poor league results, they kind of drift under the radar. But it's been the cup primarily that has um, been astonishing for them this season. And I think if they do win the Scottish Cup, uh, you know, as a campaign, it would be more impressive than the League Cup because to go to, I know they beat Hibs in the semi final League Cup, but they would have to beat Hibs again, a team that's going to finish third. And they went to Ibrox and, and uh, put Rangers out on penalties. So, you know, as a body of work, I think the, the Scottish Cup campaign is even more impressive than the League Cup campaign. But um, it's such a rare 
joy for the smaller teams to the non-old firm teams to be winning the cups. That um, it's you know there's nothing but admiration for the job that uh, that Callum Davidson's done and for the way that St Johnson is run as a club because you know the foundations have to be right to allow the manager to flourish. And a quick word on Jim Goodwin, of course, the St Mirren manager, beaten in the semi-finals again. They've had a, a good season by their standards, but hard not to feel sorry for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I saw them when they put Rangers out of the League Cup early in the season. I was also there when they beat Celtic uh, at Parkhead. And, you know, great, great moments. And um, it is, it's that kind of nearly nearly man tag, isn't it, for the season? Two semi-finals and almost getting the top six place. I think Jim Goodwin is, is a really impressive manager. Um, I was I must admit, I was kind of surprised that Aberdeen didn't think about him when they when they had the vacancy, but um, they seemed to be, um, you know, uh, convinced that Stephen Glass was going to be the man from the start. But I think uh, Jim Goodwin's going places. I, I find him impressive in, in in nearly every aspect of management, and um, and he's got some good 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 players on that side as well. Now let's look ahead to the the relegation dogfight. Quite a week ahead for the certainly the bottom three teams, Hamilton. Ross County and Kilmarnock all involved in that dogfight. As we say, two games to be played this week each. One round will have been played by the time this goes out, but there's big personalities involved as as, um, each of the managers um, look ahead. So who do you think will finish 10th, Michael? Who's going to escape and have a relatively relaxing summer, if you can put it that way? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's a really good question. I mean... The very presence of Hamilton would spook me if I was Kilmarnock and Ross County because um, they are such serial survivors and it, it, it is really difficult to put your put your finger on on why they are always able to do it because you know I, I must admit when they changed management I thought well Martin Canning must be the guy he must be the ingredient that keeps them up but but Brian Rice may yet do the same thing. You know they 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 have quite a turnover of players quite regularly, and yet the same outcome seems to happen. They survive. Um, this time it's difficult. Their last game is uh, at uh, at home to Kilmarnock. It, 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 it will depend on how these uh, penultimate results have gone in midweek. Um, Hamilton's defence has never been impressive for me all season, but. You know, maybe they have a kind of clarity of thought at the bottom that um, that isn't there with Kamarnik, who have not been used to being there. Um, so, if you ask me who's going to go down, I, I will say Ham- Hamilton because I thought it would be Hamilton last summer. So I'll stick with that. But um, you know, I, I, there's still the possibility for turbulence at the bottom of the division. Definitely. And just a quick word about the Premiership playoff, of course, that's underway. Wraith Rovers overcame Dunfermline in the previous round. Dundee await them next um, for a, a shot at whoever finishes second bottom in the, the Premiership, of course. Wraith came up last year. Um, they've had a really good season, but they're up against a Dundee team who themselves will, will fancy a climb into the top flight. How do you see that one going? Yeah, I, I, I was looking at it earlier, and if I've got my maths right, uh, or my dates right more at the point, um, Wraith would have to come through 10 games in six weeks to go all the way through and win the playoff, obviously finishing up against uh, a Premier League team. That's asking a lot. Dundee would have a little bit more of a breather in terms of not having to play the uh, as, as many playoff games. I, I mean, I, I'm always quite boring on these things. I, I look at the league table and um, Dundee finished uh, narrowly ahead of Wraith Rovers 
but it, it's a hard one to call. There's something about Wraith seems to me that there's a bit of a glass ceiling in terms of them getting back. I'd love to see them back. I have covered them in the Premier League, and it seems a long time ago. I mean, it, I think it's it's late 90s since the last time I was at Stark's Park, which is astonishing because it was a ground I used to go to quite mm-hmm. a lot. Um, I, I would quite like to see Wraith back up because I think it would be refreshing for the Premier League. Um, but I think they've got their work cut out and you know, by and large, it's the Premier League team that tends to survive and come through the playoffs. Michael Grant of The Times here on Free Kick. Still to come on the show, we get some insight into Rangers' new signing, Fashion Sakala, and his Usten teammate Jack Hendry from Scott Coyne of the Belgian Football Podcast, Gavin Skelton on his Scottish Cup memories from 2006, and Tommy Sloan plots Auchinleck's return. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. Rangers may be Premiership champions, but there's still work to be done, and last week the Ibrox Club announced the signing of forward Fashion Sakala from Belgian side Oostend. The Zambian international has had a good season, scoring regularly, and is helping them push for a spot in the new Europa Conference. It just so happens he plays alongside on-loan Celtic defender Jack Hendry at Oostend, so I killed two birds with one stone and got in touch with Scott Coyne, one of the co-hosts of the Belgian Football Podcast, to find out more, and I wanted to know, first of all, what Rangers can expect from Sakala. Well, it's a fantastic bit of business for, for Rangers, and I think it's worth remembering that Rangers are effectively picking him up on a free because his contract was expiring at Ustend. Um, he'd spent three years there, and I'd already made a decision a while ago, I think, that he was going to move on. Um, he just spent a, quite a while, I think, assessing his, his options. Um, he's 24 years old at the moment, so there's still room for improvement which is the exciting thing, I think, for Rangers fans. Um, many people know he's a, he's a Zambian international, so I think he's, um, looking at the numbers, I think he's got one goal in, in nine appearances for the national team. Um, but as far as Houston's concerned this season, he's just he's just had a, a really good season with them. He's 30 appearances this season, I think uh, 14 goals, um, with four assists on top. Um, and I think he's got 29 goals in 99 appearances for Oostend overall. So he's kind of he's been progressing year on year in his time there. He's he's a, a kind of pacey physical striker, so I think he'll adapt very well to kind of the Scottish game. The physical side of of the Scottish game is very similar to the to the game in Belgium. Um, so uh, you know I think he'll adapt to the playing style quite quickly. What's interesting about this signing, I think, is that we don't know how he's going to adapt to the demands of playing for a club like Rangers, uh, which is going to be very different to Ustend. There's this, this kind of interesting paradox where he's coming from a league, the Belgian league, which is a, a higher standard than Scottish football is generally, but um, he's going to a club where the expectations are going to be very different and the demands on him um, as, as a striker are going to be very different to, to those in Ustend as well. So does it feel like a, a natural progression for him then, given that Rangers have just won the league, that they've got a chance of qualifying for the Champions League next season as well? To him, is that is that something that seems natural for him? Yeah, I think he's looking to to certainly um, step up. Um, Oostend are a, are a club that for a number of years have been kind of flirting with relegation um, and, and managing to survive. Um, this season, they've really bucked the trend, um, and it's been one of the reasons why he's had such a good season, actually. Um, 
everyone expected them to be a candidate for relegation again this year in Belgium. And actually, the exact opposite's happened. It's been quite extraordinary. They, they narrowly missed out in securing a, a playoff one spot, which would have meant they would have been pushing for uh, Europa League and possibly even Champions League football. Um, and they missed out on a playoff one spot on, on the last regular day of the season and ended up in, in playoff two. Um, so they're now fighting in the last few games to win that playoff, which means they would get a Europa Conference League spot. Um, but I think he made a decision a while ago that he was looking to kind of move on to a bigger club that, that had European football perhaps regularly uh, of some kind. So going to a club that that has that's a larger club with a bigger profile and having Champions League football, I think, um, is, is obviously a big draw for him. There was actually quite a lot of interest in him. Lille and France, who are, who are on the verge of winning the title there, which would be quite extraordinary in itself. Um, they they were kind of quite keen as well, uh, but the fact that obviously Rangers have already won the title um, and have secured kind of Champions League uh, football qualification certainly gave them an advantage over Lille, I think, um, and they've been tracking them for a long time, so they, they've certainly done their homework. Um, and I think he can add to he can add to the to the attack that they have there at Rangers. Are you able to tell us what the reaction is um, from the, the fans in Belgium? Obviously, he's, he's made himself a, a very good member of the team this season. Are the, the fans disappointed that he, he's going to be moving on? I think I think there was an acceptance that that was going to happen. It's been a bit of an open secret, really, that um, that he he was looking to move. What nobody knew really was where he was going to go. Um, we've been aware of Rangers' interest for for quite some time, actually, um, a number of weeks. Um, it just kind of hadn't been sort of confirmed yet, and that's only happened in the last few days. Um, so I, th- I think Ustain fans have, have kind of got used to that, and I'm sure his um, his teammate um, Jack Henry um, will have been able to give him some inside knowledge on on what to expect about you know life in Glasgow and the expectations that are now going to be placed upon him um, when he when he makes that move. And of course, it's not the first time Rangers have dipped into the Belgian market. In recent years, they've signed Yanis Hadji and Kamar Roof as well, who themselves have, have succeeded in different ways at Ibrox. Yeah, the Belgian league is, is one of the most heavily scouted in Europe um, with, with good reason. Um, there's, there's a lot of talent there. Um, and has been historically as well. It's a it's a very good league for players to develop in. It's it's not it's not in one of the top five leagues in Europe, as many people will know. It, it is, however, in the top ten. Um, so it's a great place for players to go and 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 learn the physical side of the game because it's a very physical league, but it's also tactically very strong as well. Mm. So it's definitely a country where players can go and play their football and develop very very quickly. Um, whether that's on a permanent basis or, or or on a loan basis, and a lot of the top five countries scout Belgium heavily because they know there is a, a really rich talent pool there that they can draw upon, and um, most of the Belgian clubs are not in a position financially to be able to hold on to their best talent. So what tends to happen is, uh, as is the case in a lot of countries. Um, players are maybe at a club for a couple of years before they secure a, a, a big move if, if, if they do well. Um, that's, that's generally kind of the pattern of movement there. But it's a, it's a, it's a league which, which doesn't get the attention it kind of probably deserves. Um, but I think that is slowly beginning to change now because it's, it's easier to get access to watch Belgian football in a way that before it, it wasn't. So you can watch it, the majority of it, for free online now in, in most European countries. 
And you've already mentioned the fact that he'd uh, that he'd set uh, he'd set his heart on leaving the club anyway after three years. But was there an attempt by Usten to maybe try and hold on to him for a little bit longer? Yeah, well, they did offer him a new contract, um, which, which he turned down. So I think his his heart was set and going, regardless of the circumstances. Um, it's kind of ironic in that you know I think Usten are, are going to achieve um, overachieve. Uh, by their own standards by the end of the season and hopefully you know their great season can be rewarded by securing that European place because I think that would be that would be a kind of fitting end for them and for Sakala to have kind of contributed to that because of his, his, his 14 goals and his four assists has, has been a big a big big part of that um, I think he'll need he'll need a playing partner at Rangers he's not you know he's, he's not known for playing on his own um, he likes service um, so if they can find an effective partner for him, um, then you know I think that could form potentially quite a kind of potent striking partnership. Now you've already mentioned him; he's got a teammate with him uh, who's stand. It's Jack Hendry, who's on loan from Celtic at the moment. How has he fitted into the side this season? He's had an absolutely amazing season. Actually, he's been he's been a bit of a revelation. Um, there's this perception with loans that um, it's you know players are either not very good or um, you know the, this is a great example actually of, of a player who's gone somewhere on loan and not only improved but but developed and has come out of the process a better player um, which doesn't happen as often as it should but it's a really good example of of, of a young player going to another country um, getting regular football which is what it was all about and it completely turning around his game I mean before Jack Henry went to Belgium um, he had a number of issues um, with his game but he's completely changed you know physically um, he's a different player I think tactically he's a better player as well his reading of the game has improved his confidence has improved because of that and he's just fitted into that system that Usten have been playing all season really really well um, and is now becoming kind of quite a quite a sought after player and of course he was called back into the, the Scotland squad in the, the last international break so Euro 2020 is coming how do you fancy his chances of being in Steve Clark's squad for that? I think he will make it in the end, actually. I mean, I, I was surprised that he was named in the most recent squad because although he, he did deserve it, it's one of those things that, you know, if someone's um, not been in the squad up to a certain point, it's very, very difficult for people later on, regardless of their form, to kind of, you know, get through that door. And I, I was delighted for him when he got that call up because he really deserved it. So I was surprised because, you know, it's so rare for the right decision to be made in these things. And for once it was. He got criticised a little bit by some Scotland fans for, for his performances, um, particularly um, Scotland fans who I think are also Celtic fans um, who who were kind of looking at whether he should come back there or not. And I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding about, obviously, when in, in the Scotland side, they play a different system to the one that Ustend plays. So it's unrealistic to expect him to come in, I think, and necessarily hit the ground running the same way and put in the same sorts of performances as he's done all season for Ustend because the system's different, you know. People will often forget that. Um, but he's he's got into that squad on the basis of his form, which has been excellent all season, and and has and has really deserved that place. So I'd be very surprised if he wasn't in the squad now. Well, we mentioned Celtic. There, we'll talk about that in a minute. But you would have saw, of course, that uh, Jack went viral last week as uh, his dressing room um, argument with his teammate Ari Freya Skulison. Apologies for the, the bad pronunciation. Um, after the two-two draw with Standard Liège, he, he called his teammate a space cadet. What did you make of that? 
<laughs> I thought that was a great, you know, a great video actually. We we were really pleased when we saw that here at the Belgian podcast <laughs> because um, he's he's clearly a character in the dressing room, I think. And I know he'd, he'd been speaking for a long time about how it's taken his team. It's a long time to kind of get get used to his, his Scottish accent, and they still struggle with it sometimes. <laughs> um, but you know, using the phrase "space cadet" is is quite difficult to misunderstand, isn't it? So it's <laughs> it's just great to see these behind the scenes moments like that. I think they humanise football for all of us. I noticed as well that that clip only went viral probably last week, but I think the game actually took place in January. Am I, am I right in saying that? Yeah, yeah. There was a big gap between um, between the game and the kind of the footage coming out, and I think um, yeah. I mean, it, Jack had a um, there was quite a nasty tackle on him just just last week actually um, against Standard Liège, funnily enough, and. There was question marks about you know whether you'd be able to see the rest of the season out. And yesterday's uh, yesterday, Usain were playing Mechelen actually in the league, and um, I was quite surprised to see him starting because I expected him to miss that game because of the tackle on his ankle. Um, as it turns out, he actually uh, he revealed after the game that he played yesterday for I think seventy two minutes, um, but only after he'd had a painkiller injection. Um, which he now regrets. I think um, mm. he was sharing some, you know, he was talking about that today and, and and saying that, you know, he just, you know, the pain barrier was too much during the game. They wanted to try it because of how important he's become to the side, um, and it didn't quite work out for them because they didn't get a great result either. But um, yeah, I mean, I, he's he's certainly got a big decision to make now, um, and there's a number of options available for him as well. Yeah, that's it, and that leads nicely. Obviously, Celtic are a team that will be in transition with a new manager coming in. We think Eddie Howe, we don't know, nothing's been confirmed yet. We could see him in the Celtic team, we could see him anywhere really, couldn't we? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see the way this one pans out. Ustend have a have a purchase option on him for, I think, 1.5, 1.6 million euros. Um, which was agreed way back at the start of the loan. And I know that they're keen to exercise that. So I think they're trying to make moves in that at the moment, because as I understand it, there's a clause as well in the contract saying that that deal has to be completed by the 31st of May. Otherwise, that option then expires. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. There is some English interest and a little bit of German interest in them as well. Um, I know he's keen to whatever he plays his football next season to make sure that he's kind of guaranteed regular football because that's that's the sole reason why he's improved so much this season um, because he's been playing so regularly. Um, I think he'll I think he'll stay at Ustend. I think he'll go back there. I think the the situation at Celtic at the moment is still too fluid. I think he would like to know who's maybe coming in, um, but there's no guarantee whoever's coming in will necessarily be in the door before the end of May when that option would expire. So the decision might might have to be taken kind of before then. I think he's open to coming back to Celtic. That's the thing. He's keeping a very open mind about this as well. He did say recently that, you know, he'd be he'd be crazy not to do that. So um it might be one of those things that flips potentially at the last minute as well. And there's certainly a lot of people watching this. That was Scott Coyne from the Belgian Football Podcast on Oostend pair Rangers-bound Fashion Sakala and on-loan Celtic defender Jack Hendry.
Well, we're on the subject of Rangers. Let's send our congratulations to manager Stephen Gerrard on winning the Scottish Football Writers Manager of the Year Award. The Premiership champion beat St Johnson boss Callum Davidson, Livingston's David Martindale and national team coach Steve Clark to the award, which was voted for prior to the weekend and, of course, prior to St Johnson reaching their second cup final of the season, it should be pointed out. Gerrard, of course, led Rangers to their 55th title and denied Celtic 10 in a row and doing so with an impressive defensive record which has seen them unbeaten in the league at the time of recording. So well done to him on his accolade. Still to come, we take Gavin Skelton back to 2006 in the Scottish Cup final between Gretna and Hearts and Auchinleck manager Tommy Sloan looks back on the year that wasn't for the Ayrshire Club. See you after this. You're listening to Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. On Thursday the 13th of May, it'll be 15 years to the day since one of the more memorable Scottish Cup finals and not necessarily because of the action on the pitch. While the game was an entertaining one, it saw SPL side Hearts take on recently crowned Division 2 champions Gretna in the Hamden showpiece. Would the team based in a town just inside the Scottish side of the border cause one of the biggest upsets the tournament has ever seen? Sadly not, but after a 1-1 draw they did take the Tynecastle men to penalties eventually losing out 4-2 in the shootout. Now, Gretna's rise and fall story has been well told in Scottish football, but it remains a special day for midfielder Gavin Skelton, nowadays the assistant manager at English League Two side Carlisle United. And I asked him, 15 years on, how he sums up that special day at Hamden. Um, yeah, it was an amazing day. I, I know it didn't end great, but I do recall it being a, a great day. You know, when you're a kid and you're playing in the back garden, the cup final day. It was always seemed to be hot when you were younger and English Cup Final was on, Scottish Cup Final was on and you used to kind of flip between both. I can remember it being a nice sunny day and all expectations, the build-up to it, the going to the ground with the fans, coming out, the whole occasion lived up lived up to what, well, probably exceeded what I'd ever hoped of because, you know, I'd never really imagined playing in a, in a National Cup Final. So to do it, it, it did live up to expectation. And obviously <laughs> it's disappointment that we, we never went on to win it. Now, the Gretna story's been told so many times. You were part of it all the way, as you look back. Does it still boggle the mind that you went from English non-league to all the way to the Scottish Cup final, to Europe, and then on to the, the top flight? Do you know what? Because you, you, your career's going on, you don't really... I didn't really reflect too much. I never watched the Cup final back. never looked at... My mum kept scrapbooks, never really looked at them. And it's funny, my boys are getting a little bit old and showed a little bit... The oldest one showed a little bit of interest, so I've only been happy to uh, to show him little bits. And the other day he asked, uh, "Dad, did you watch? Did you ever score a goal?" And I scored one against Hearts, and it flicked up. Obviously, when I put in Gretna Hearts, the cup final came up, so I started to watch bits, and I thought I won't watch it. And yeah, that's the first time I ever watched the highlights back, and, and what, a, what a good game it game it was in terms of in terms of that. So that makes you think about the the whole the whole journey, and yeah. Yeah, brilliant journey from being non-league when we're playing in front of eighty people, and I can remember <laughs> probably said it before, but you know when we're in the non-league, we'd have a bus. There's a few supporters would come on it. I think secretary would bring the dog on it. We had to stop at services to let the dog have a wee, etc. <laughs> to, to 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 get to a cup final and be doing pre-season tours in in Italy and Austria. It is you know when you you think back, it it is quite an incredible story. I know it had a lot of knockers and people were this and that, but you know personally, fantastic story give me a, a career and it is obviously coming up 15 years it's an anniversary and people have shown interest again and it obviously gets the mind going and now it was unbelievable the amount of people characters players you played with coaches fans the whole journey you know playing at Raydale 80 fans and playing at Motherwell um, in the SPL and and just the whole story when you put it all together it's quite incredible really 
Now, we could spend a whole podcast in itself talking about Gretna's story in, in the Scottish League, but obviously we want to talk about the final in particular, yeah. given it's the anniversary. Now, that season, Gretna, were in Division 2, which is now League 1, of course. So, yeah. when you look back on the Cup campaign, when did you think you could, uh, you could really make a go of getting to Hamden? Um, I don't recall when, but I remember getting... Dundee, I think Dundee were in the championship, well, championship now, first division then. When we got them in their semi-final, you think, I'll tell you what, we can do this. You know, not just get to the final, could could we win it? Um, I think we did, in that run, we, we played Clyde, drew 0-0 away and then beat them 4-5, one at home, quite convincingly. Beat St Johnston, which is, that was, uh, I think we won 1-0 away. And, that. and then I suppose you do start thinking about it, but I think it was only when... When we actually got to the semi-final, you thought, oh, we could not just get to the final, we could, we could win this and that. Um, we won't beat Dundee convincing, I think, 3-0 in an early kick-off. And that, that, you know, when we went into that cup final, not not expecting to win, but we really thought we had a good chance, hoping to win and, and make history. And that, that, not, not missing the penalty, obviously missing the penalty do, does bug you, but not being that bit in history of, of actually winning it is the, the biggest bugbearer of mine, to be honest. Now, I remember the interest in the club was huge at the time because of obviously the rise of the club and synonymous with Brooks Mileson, who was the, the owner. What was your relationship with Brooks like? Um, like to be fair, I can remember Brooks when he first came in. It was our it was the first season in the Scottish League and it, it, it was funny. It's um the first time he came to a game he was on the bus, we went played um, playing Queen's Park at Hamden in in the Challenge Cup, I think it was a Tuesday night, and he was just putting some money into the youth side of it. Then obviously someone got into his ear, or someone got he got a feel for the club, or that kind of football side of it, and it grew from there. But I, I, I had a good relationship with Brooks. I wasn't as close as, as many. We, you know, we pleasant when we seen each other. But I know a lot of the lads would visit his house, or he had like animals up at his house zoo, and lads would visit him, and he had, he had close relationships with some. I had a good relationship with him, but I wasn't um, as close as some. But no, he, I'm forever grateful for what he, what he did for the club and and for me giving me a career. And that's probably why. I'm, fortunate enough to still be in the game at the moment because it gave me that platform to, to get back into the professional game so yeah, it was in terms of character you wouldn't have thought it was an, a billionaire well not a millionaire or, or whatever owner the way you know you just you'd see him in the corner of the ground sometimes training with his, his cigarette and his ponytail and, and his clothes or whatever so no it was, it was quite hands-on in terms of he was around the place a lot but not hands-on in terms of actually getting involved in the football side which probably is a novelty these days. I remember there was the stories about Kenny Duker whenever he, he scored hat-tricks or whatever, he would get a shot of uh, Brooks's car. Did you ever get a shot? I, I did, actually. I, I'm not <laughs> a big car, I'm not a big, actually, car person. So, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I was fortunate enough to get a couple of man of the matches and I always put it off to the point where I was like, this is getting a bit awkward. So I said, yeah, oh, that's brilliant. Thank you, I'll take it. It was a, it was a green jag. I got in it and I drove it. I, nearly, I couldn't take I think it was a... automatic, so I could hardly get the handbrake off. I could smell burning. Oh, no. And I, yeah, I know. So I got it home. I got it over and parked it up and thought, well, I'll leave it for the week and I won't take it out, I'll get it back, end of, no problem. But my girlfriend at the time was like, oh, great, we'll, uh, we'll go out for something to eat, we'll go out for something to eat, right. So I picked her up in it, went out, parked up outside the pub, uh, the restaurant or whatever, and then someone came in, a, far, a, far, a farmer in all his farming gear, which is good honesty, to be fair, could it? <laughs> and said, who's is the green jag outside? And uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to sound all right too, but I've Put my hand up, yeah, yeah, that's mine. Thinking, fuck, and think, well, we've got one here. And he went, oh, I apologise, I've just reversed into it. I went, you're joking. 
and he went, no, no, I'm really sorry. And I honestly thought it was a wind-up because it was a local restaurant, but I thought one of my mates or someone set us up and teed it up. And I went outside and he reversed his, uh, like, tractor, tractor kind of thing into the side of it and taken off the, yeah, taken, taken <laughs> off the, the front of the car. And I was taking it back the next day and I can remember it had half the front missing off it and I had to drive, what was it, 20, 30 miles from my house to, to the ground um, at about 15 miles an hour. You, you know, youngest lad in a green jag, you can imagine the gestures I was getting from people driving past me. <laughs> so back to the game, of course, uh, a big build-up, of course, it's the showpiece game of the season. You're up against Hearts, who'd romped to the final, courtesy of beating Hibs 4-0. What do you remember about the build-up to the game? Could you get any sleep the night before for the excitement? The, the semi-final against Dundee, I never slept a wing. I'm not, you know, I room with Stephen Tosh, Tosh, who was, you know, he was, quite lively and noisy I was probably quite so that's probably why we really haven't gotten so well but I can remember not sleeping a wink and then thinking wake well not waking on doing going to the game think how am I going to play in this but you know I've had no sleep but adrenaline gets you through cut final not not too bad didn't sleep too bad for some reason um I can remember getting up going for breakfast and I can remember the radio radio one being on in the background you know the kitchen staff must have had it on and it said about the cut final and we got a mention on that and that's when it kind of thought Phew. Big occasion, this big occasion. I can remember going for a walk in the morning, and it took us for some reason. Rowan, Rowan wanted us to wear kilts, so the full full shebang of the Scottish dress, whatever. So I can remember that that was the biggest stress that day. It must have taken us about an hour to get the kilt on properly, and the shirt, and the bit, and the jacket, and all that. So I've done that. Maybe took our nerves away a bit, but I can remember once we were all ready, you know, a bit of a laugh about that, then getting on the bus, and then. On the way to the game, just thousands of fans on the side of the road, and that's come back to my first point, thinking that's what you dreamt of. It, unbelievable, you know the hairs on your back starting to to go, whatever. And then we got to the ground, and then on a bit of a blur after that, a bit of a blur in terms of. I've seen a picture of myself, and I'm like, I look in the team photo before, and I do. My eyes are really popping out of my head. I can, I remember. I can't, I can't. I can just remember that, never feeling that intensity or that that kind of excitement nervousness, a bit of everything and yeah, unbelievable occasion and like I say, I can't really remember most of the game so it was quite good it's funny, it's a coincidence that you've got in touch that I did watch the highlights back on YouTube with my boy the other night and it, what a game it was What a game. in your head you think, oh, I bet it was a good game but I remember recalling they they went 1-0 up early on and then watching the highlights they should have been 2 or 3 but once they didn't get into 2 or 3 second half or maybe been blinkered we should have should have gone on to win the game with the chances we had and big Johnny Bravo last kick of the game um, at the back post had a good opportunity inside the 6 yard box and maybe perhaps if he'd uh, taken that but I'll pass the book to him we, we, we would, have, would have won the cup final and not gone to, gone to penalties but then going to penalties, taking a club like Hearts all the way to penalties is an achievement in itself considering we were getting away at the time yeah, but didn't like I said, we went in there hope not not hoping to win. It, it was a bit of an arrogance and expect we believe we could win. And I can remember extra time going into I do remember recall extra time actually, going into extra time thinking looking across thinking they've gone. They've gone because the pressure was on them. They should have been out of sight in the game. We got back into it. Their fans were starting to turn a little bit. And looking at them extra time, we were all stood up and they were all down on the getting the legs. I'm thinking, we've got them here. We've got them here. So to to not to not actually you know, maybe it was even Stevens at extra time. Can't can't recall too much, but I, it was a disappointment almost going to penalties. Um, we felt we could, we had them in extra time, but once it got to penalties, you know, history history is its its itself. And I can remember me, me 
I do remember walking up for my penalty thinking the goal just went zoom, zoom, two foot in either from the top, inside, inside. And Craig Gordon seemed to grow and get, go gadget arms. He put his arms out. And I can remember standing thinking, where am I going to put this? And I still stand to this day that he got a, a small fingertip to it. And that's why it went over the bar. And uh, that's what helped get him his move to some of the 10 million. <laughs> I mean, that was going to be my next question, your penalty. I mean, that's got to be the longest walk any professional footballer has to make. A penalty shootout, a pressure penalty, especially one like yours. Just how long did it feel? A long. And it's funny, like, watching it, literally, it was the other day, watching my wife's day, going, why are you, che- what are you chewing? What are you chewing gum? I didn't have, walk up, I'm not even chewing. I didn't have chewing gum in, I don't think. I think I chew when I'm a bit of nerves, trying to look, look calm. And, uh, yeah, it was a, it's a long walk, but I can, yeah, yeah, I can just remember walking up and the goal getting smaller, smaller, and Craig Gordon getting bigger and bigger. And uh, I'm sure we practiced in the week before, and obviously I didn't put it where I'd decided. I think I must have stood at the back and think, right, I'm just going to blast it. And uh, unfortunately, that that's what it was. And then after that's a bit of a blur walking around the pitch, and then I watched myself get the medal the other day, and then walking, walking back down the tunnel. I, I was one of the lucky ones to get drug tested. Oh. And obviously, yeah, I think it was two minutes too. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it was great. I, 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 I probably said something. Thank the drug tester for picking me in a in a very polite way. And then, um, yeah, I couldn't couldn't wee, so I think I was last left in. And then I came back to the dressing room, and it, and it was a bit of a ghost dressing room. Everyone had gone, the, all the kit had gone. There's only my kilt hanging up, so that was a bit of a sovereign thought. So. When you suffer a disappointment like that in football, you know, such a big, big moment in your career, how long does it take you to recover from that? Are you one of these guys that can just draw a line under it and move on, or did it take you a few days to, to finally get over it? Uh, it's a bit of both. It is a bit of both. I think I got over it quite quickly. Um, perhaps my season in the, in the first Championship First Division, as it was then, wasn't the best the next season. I don't know if that's anything to do with it. Um but no, nah, I've moved on, but he, he still lingers now. And even like the, you know, going into coach and the players, they obviously don't know you. And if they, they always, there's always one or two remember bring up the penalty. So they've obviously looked it up or someone said, so they have a, a bit of a laugh. So yeah, it doesn't often get, doesn't often get forgotten about. Someone's always happy to mention it. So um, yeah, no, it is a disappointment because even if I'd scored, I might not have gone on to win it. But yeah, you, you always have that thing, like I say. Coming back to that first point, we wanted to make history, and we would have been in the history books for you know two thousand and six winners. So no, you move on, but it's still that lingering frustration. That's the thing. It's like Steven Gerrard. When you look at everything he's done in his career, for some people, you mentioned Steven Gerrard. The slip against Chelsea in twenty fourteen comes up a lot as well. Maybe more than, than some of the other things he's done in the game as well. And it, it, it's it's hard to be kind of tagged like that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but people jump on. People jump on bad stuff, don't they? And, mm. bad, and bad news, don't they? And that, that, that's, that's human nature. So, in terms of, I, I don't mind it when people bring it up because it is a bit of a laugh. My, my, my frustration is that we never won it, like I, like I keep saying. And it, it, it's funny coincidences. You know, Stephen Presley was there, Hearts captain, and like I say, I watched it the other day, and he's walking out. And then I worked with him at, at Carlisle last year, so it's funny how it comes round. And we, he's very, he was very. Uh, you know, very respectful when we spoke about it. You know, last season when we were at Carlisle together. So, yeah, it's funny how things come around like that. But yeah, yeah, you can move on. People do remind you. 
it, I suppose it makes you a bit of infamous for a little little spell in, in history. Don't get me wrong, I wish it had been the winning one, but it, it is what it is and I, and I can't change it. But it doesn't affect the, the whole journey and what a, what a fantastic... I wouldn't swap it. would not swap it for for any boy that, you know, that never thought had that arrogant, that thought that they're playing a cup final, it lived up to everything they ever ever wanted. Now, the Gretna story, I think, uh, divides a lot of people. You, on the one side, you've got the fairy tale aspect of it, a small town team who rose through the ranks, got themselves up to the top, got into Europe and everything else. But then you've got the other side of it, the bankruptcy and the, the sort of misery that, that followed and the years it's taken for the, the, the club to kind of recover. I take it, everything you've experienced doesn't take anything away from, from what happened to the club after. Not at all. I, I do wait, you know, obviously, I, I can't see why people say that. Yeah, of course I understand that. Frustration side from mine was that the, I didn't really, I suppose they propped it up to finish the SPL, you know, because it kept its dignity the league then. Frustration side is that they never give it much opportunity to maybe bounce bound to the bottom league and, and come back up. Maybe financially that wasn't viable, the debts, I don't know all that. But I didn't feel we were given the club was given much time to, to rebuild. So that that's a frustration frustration side. But I have no, you know, it give me a career, give me a platform, give me fantastic memories. And, you know, I still speak to, you know, Mark Perch, I work with, we played in the cup final, Derek Townsley, you know, I'm good pals with him, we meet up with his family. So it, it gives us that, them memories and them thoughts, and I, I'm lucky to have them. The frustration side is that we had gone from a fan base of 80 people to averaging 15, 16 or 100 at home. So it was going, but obviously... You know, it went too quick, too far. Which personally, great for me because it gives us a career and, and experiences for the club. Maybe outlived itself too quickly, but um, you know, like I say, that, that that's history. Former Gretna midfielder Gavin Skelton on the Scottish Cup final in two thousand and six. One more interview to come on Free Kick as we talk to Tommy Sloan, the manager of 13-time Scottish Junior Cup winners Auchinleck Talbot, as he looks back on a difficult year for his club and how they're finding their way back in the West of Scotland League, just after this. This is Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. Welcome back. The coronavirus pandemic has affected football in all sorts of ways up and down the country, and aside from playing in front of empty stands and adhering to COVID protocols, some teams played some part of a season while others didn't even kick a ball. 13-time Scottish Junior Cup winners Auchinleck Talbot did just that, opting out of what should have been the inaugural season of the new West of Scotland League, the new tier in the Scottish football pyramid. They've spent the last year taking time out due to concerns over safety because of the virus, with officials announcing their self-imposed exclusion back in October. Now teams in the league have started planning for the new campaign and Talbot boss Tommy Sloan is starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. Aye, let's hope so. I, uh, Craig, it's been a strange year, uh, without a doubt. It's uh, certainly one we'll not forget, I think. Uh, the feeling, uh, what I remember most of the, when, the, when we, at the start of the season, when we were asked, if we were going to play them, though, so that, that tells you how strange it was, the, the year's been, if you know what I mean. Uh, I and uh, but we've, we've come out, and it was, it was a horrible feeling when other teams were playing and we were trying to get a training session together on a Saturday rather than, uh, rather than go to a match. That was a real horrible feeling for everybody, to be honest with you. That's certainly what I remember about it. 
Now, of course, it was meant to herald the start of the new West of Scotland League. This was the, the new juniors, if I can put it that way as well. It was the hell of a time to start something like that, but nobody's fault. It was one of those things. I, uh, it's, it's just the way it fell in. Uh, certainly, I, it certainly didn't help the situation. I, and as you say, we're starting a new league. Uh, certainly know what they were looking for. Uh, but I look, it's, as I said, real strange times. And uh, we, had, we came to a decision. And I remember that time we, the club asked everybody, they asked everybody for an opinion, players, management, coaches, they, they didn't just take make a hasty decision there. They they put it around everybody and tried to get a feeling for it. Uh, in the end, obviously, it, it was the right decision at the end. But certainly, as I touched on prior there, uh, it certainly didn't feel like it <laughs> when games were going on and we we were the players. Uh, that's something I'll always remember. And you couldn't even go to a game as well. You couldn't. It's not as if you could amuse yourself. Going to watch other games or whatever, you you had to stick to the rules and restrictions and whatever. So, uh, aye, uh, let's hope it doesn't happen again. That that's uh, certainly what I, I'm taking out to. I I hope, hope I don't have to get through that again. Now, looking back at the club statement from October, um, the, the fact that the statement says the fact that no fans are allowed into games. And more importantly, players not being allowed to use changing and washing facilities and severe implications for the health and well-being. And I suppose that's standard across clubs at that kind of level. Were you surprised teams did take that risk and, and go ahead? Uh, yeah, I of course. Uh, look, and most most teams at the level need the crowd to. To, to fund your club, if you know what I mean. That, that that's what well, well, let's know. Of course, health and well-being's been a big issue there. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and the welfare of players and staff, because uh, most teams at your level are run by older gentlemen. Let's say, uh, if I could put it that way, and certainly they they were at risk as well. Uh, that that's got to be taken into account. So. And we were all. Everybody was probably in the same boat at first when this when virus came about. Uh, oh, that's again. It's no. It's a lot of nonsense. I think that was the kind of general attitude. But as, as we've seen, it obviously uh, it's no turned out that way. Uh, we, we've made a a decision there, and I and I, I'm surprised there was uh, there was the more teams joined us uh, in sitting out because certainly. The funding of the clubs is certainly one. Now we, I know the way we run, we, we certainly need the crowd in the gates to, to, to fund things that uh, we can, we can. And of course, Auckland Lake Talbot are very much the hub of the community. I've been to many games there myself and you know I've seen the sort of crowds that you guys get. How has the community missed the club this year? How much? Well, uh, obviously it'll be a real big mess. Well, I certainly... Uh, I think people's found they've, they've probably found other things to do. But honestly, uh, it's a wee bit concerning. I, I hope they didn't enjoy it too much. With all due respect, uh, because uh, as I said, we, we all try to amuse ourselves with whatever we were doing, probably exercising or whatever it may be, uh, cycling or walking. Uh, a lot of people took to. Uh, I've never met as many hill walkers in all my life, <laughs> uh, but. 
Aye, look, I think, I, obviously, I don't live in Auchinleck and I don't get the general feeling week in, week out. I've not really, I've probably been up there once uh, in the last six months, if you know what I mean. So that that, that tells you, I'm sorry, it wasn't quite six, I think it'd be maybe five months now if we were back up there. I think it was December or last time we were there. Uh, so I, well, strange times for us all. But the feeling of quite a lot, it's always been the hub of the village, uh, the Talbot. Long before I was there, or any, it's been the same for the last 30, 40 years, what I can remember. Uh, they're really passionate about their team and uh, they're always talking about it. If you get beat, it's a, it's a, huge, uh, it's a huge drama and if you win a, a big match, it's great. Uh, so, aye, well, I'm sure we've missed it uh, and I hope they all want to come back just like we do as soon as we can. So what about you then, the last 12 months? What, how have you amused yourself, if I can use that term, given that you've not had training to get the guys to... Well, I think you have had training, the odd session here and there. But in general, over the last year, how have you... Um, oh, you, you I, know, in general, look, we, we managed to get a training session or, uh, or two in, up until December. Uh, it was early December when we, when we stopped for which was supposed to be a Christmas break, and then we weren't allowed to, we weren't allowed to come back in, obviously because of the lockdown situation. But I, uh, from a personal point of view, as I touched on there, I was doing a bit of cycling or whatever. Or I've got a grandchild that uh, needs amused, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just general exercise and look. I'll be honest with you, at my age, it probably doesn't affect as, as, as much as the younger people, I don't think. Uh, I think they take a bit more amusing than, than the likes of us. Uh, so I'm not putting you in, I'm not generalising there, by the way, Jake. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not putting you in that uh, bracket. But uh, certainly, look, it wasn't too bad for me. I didn't find it that uh, bad. I just try to keep up to date with it up until the Ur League was going, trying to keep up to date with that. You're not allowed to go to a match. What's going on in the football world? Uh, wasn't it an easy? Wasn't it an easy task? Uh, so, aye. Well, as I say, it wasn't too bad for me. And what about your players as well? I assume you've kept in touch with them throughout the, the whole time you've kind of been away and made sure they're okay. Because obviously we know that you know lockdown and everything else has affected people in, in so many different ways. Aye, it, it certainly has, uh, and I'll. I'll be honest to you, we, we, we were affected with COVID. Uh, our team was certainly affected with what, what must have been COVID because uh, there's some players are still feeling the effects of it uh, right to this. The day I actually spoke to one or two today and they are stuck, they're getting told it's long COVID to the, to the doctors. So uh, I, it, it certainly was the... Keep me in touch with him. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, did, I only spoke to a few players through the summer. Alan kept in touch with a few for me. Uh, so, hey, that, that the concerning thing there is we did get affected with uh, the COVID thing as a team. There was obviously we had to have a game cancelled before uh, the, the lockdown because of illness. But at the time, we obviously we didn't know it was COVID, but. Uh, it's turned out to be, it, it, it certainly was, according to the doctors, it certainly was, because uh, two or three of our players are still suffering from it. Uh, and look, that's how uh, 
I'm eager to get back in. We're trying to get in this week for a for a training session to see who's actually where and uh, regarding fitness, fitness levels. So, I look. Uh, it was. Uh, it's certainly been a strange time for everybody, and I. Uh, there's certainly one or two still affected with with the effects of that. I, according to the guys I've spoke to in the phone. And we certainly wish them well. We hope that's nothing too long term from that point of view. Just finally, though, we're yeah. into May. We're looking at the season starting maybe late July, early August. Uh, I've seen some teams are are signing players. Are you in a position to start doing that yourself? Right, this is a, a strange signing players. I, uh, I look. You always like to bring a freshness to it and sign one or two players. Uh, the only thing is, that you, normally you've got an idea in your head uh, because you've, you've you've played the full season the year before, and you somebody's caught your eye or whatever, and you've you've got an idea of who you want to sign. And this year is uh, certainly not like that. It's uh, you're getting in a wee bit in the dark. Uh, players, people recommending. I'm actually depending on people recommending people and asking people into the training. Uh, but it's certainly something I'm looking to do is bringing uh, one or two fresh faces in and uh, hopefully we can do that and bring a bit of quality in. But as I say, it's this year, it's certainly for me, I'm finding it uh, pretty tough because just because I've more or less sat in the house for, a, for a, uh, seven or eight months or whatever it was, uh, which is not a normal thing for us. And we've normally got a good idea of who we want to sign, and uh, certainly this year isn't like that. So hopefully we can get through that, and uh, hopefully we don't lose too many uh, through <laughs> through what's happened. Uh, so, and there, there is a chance one or two of the players might know, uh, I don't know, it's certainly been a strange time, Craig, and I, I just got a feeling that we might have one or two players and maybe no fancy it now. And uh, what I'm hearing, I'm hearing one or two things, but I've no had it direct for the players yet. So that's all. I'm a wee bit wary. I'm a wee bit wary getting in this year. And uh, but look, I'm I'm wanting to push on just like any other year. And uh, but as I say, it's certainly going to be tough. Uh, in regards to bringing in fresh faces and uh, a bit of quality because of the, the situation we've been in. Tommy Sloan, manager of Auchinleck Talbot, feeling much more positive about the prospect of a new season. Let's round up the playoff results in action briefly. Now, we're not going to touch on the Premiership just yet. There are two rounds to be played at the time of recording, so we'll look back on those next week. Same with the first leg of the Premiership playoff semi-final between Rafe Rovers and Dundee, the first leg taking place after we've recorded. But at the other end of the Championship, Morton and Airdrionians will play each other for a place in next season's lineup. They made it through their semi-finals with both sides needing extra time to confirm their respective places. Airdrie had to overcome Cove Rangers, winning 3-2 at home thanks to Callum Gallagher scoring twice and edging Paul Hartley's men 4-3 over the two games. Morton shrugged off Saturday's 2-1 loss to Montrose to beat the Lynx Park men 3-1 at Capelo, taking them through 4-3 in aggregate as well. Craig McGuffey coming up with the all-important goal there. That means they'll play each other over two legs, starting in Airdrie next Tuesday, the 18th, before they play to a conclusion on Friday the 21st, with both these games being shown on BBC Alaba. 
Elsewhere, Dumbarton and Edinburgh City will meet for a place in League One. The Suttons beating Stranraer 1-0 in their second leg, courtesy of a Jamie Wilson goal, which was the aggregate score to send them through. For Edinburgh City, it's a chance for them to step into the third tier after a 2-2 home draw with Elgin City, which saw them edge the Borough Briggs side 3-2 on aggregate. The final will be played next week as well, City hosting the first leg on Monday and the return game in Dumbarton on Thursday. Again, both games will be shown on BBC Oliver. That's about it for this week on Free Kick, the Scottish football podcast. And this podcast is now part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, the UK's first dedicated sport podcast network. Find the next show you'll love or even join the team at www.sport-social.co.uk. In the meantime, I want to thank my guests, Michael Grant, Scott Coyne, Gavin Skelton and Tommy Sloan, and to you for listening. Join me for another episode next week as we start to look ahead to the Scottish Cup final, get some reflection on the end of the Premiership season and see what else is going on. Take care, have a great weekend and I'll be back soon. Bye for now. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.